This is Critical Thinking Supremacy, the Sonic Gravity Theory of Everything. Now, in this podcast episode, I will give you the answers to most, if not all, the solutions to the questions in theoretical physics that have eluded mankind for more than a century. And all it took was seventh grade math, a guitar string, a clock, and the hand of God. But your consciousness is actually sitting on the surface of a hologram, the one plank thick slab covering the hole that a supernova punched through in the fabric of space. And seriously, that black hole is pretty much the vaginal canal that gave life to the universe that our bodies are in and our energy is quantumly entangled with our bodies. And that is a fact. And whether you know it or not, you're a cosmic librarian who is receiving and recording Hawking radiation, which is the same as time and history. And you are the reason that the law of conservation of information exists. You record this information in your memory and in your DNA and you pass that information on through your DNA to your children. And I know this sounds really weird because I was thinking the same thing as I was thinking it up, but you know what? It all makes sense because all the puzzle pieces fit together. And while you orbit in sonic gravity, I will prove it to you. And that is a fact. And a super brilliant physicist, Dr. Gerard de Tooft, proved that a 3D universe can mathematically be encoded on the surface of a 2D hologram or a black hole. And if you don't believe me, that's fine. He can show you the math, but I'm taking his word for it. And that's where we are, which I can totally prove the hologram part. And guess what? The energy that makes up your soul cannot be destroyed, and you are the memory that satisfies an unbreakable law of physics called the Law of Conservation of Information. And that's simply a law that says no information in the universe can possibly be destroyed. And that is a fact. It is a legit law in physics. I did not make that up. You can Google it. And real quick, I'll prove that we are living on the face of a hologram in our brain, which is the form of matter that, in my opinion, God created that is complex enough to be entangled with the complex energy that is our souls on the hologram that you and I are both running over. And so, Dane Cook, Dane, you were totally right. We are technically living in a kind of a simulation. Here's the physics that proves we're in a simulation and it's called quantum teleportation. And it's actually how I realized that Einstein's theory of special relativity was missing a secret sauce called dark matter. So quantum teleportation was how I realized, or God showed me, I should say, that dark matter was actually just matter that was connected to our real matter by the Higgs field, but just sloshing around back and forth across four Planck times. Which is like a really, really, really small piece of time. And what I'm about to say is part of sort of the unification of quantum and classical physics that everybody's kind of been trying to do for the last hundred years. And that is that the quantum entanglement via the Higgs field is the gravity of inertia, so to speak. For more on that, check out Critical Thinking Part 7, because gravity is caused by the curvature of time. Because if you move more than a tick of time by accelerating through space, if you get to two tick lengths, the Higgs field starts tugging on you to keep you on the same tick of Planck time that your consciousness is on. Ever wonder why you like black out if you pull too many G's? Yeah, that's the Higgs field tugging on your soul, and that is a fact. So anyway, our place in the universe is on the surface of a hologram. Our memory is what is encoding the information, the time, or what we call the Hawking radiation that is blowing out of a black hole 
pole, which is the cap on the Einstein-Rosen bridge to the universe we live in, which is the baby universe, and the universe that we came from is the parent universe. We are capturing radiation in our memory, and when we die, guess what? Your memory is also encoded in your DNA, and you'll pass that on to your children. And that is the reality of the universe, or God's plan for the law of conservation of information. And I'm not making it up. It's legit. We're like cosmic librarians. And we know that information can't be destroyed. And so, in some ways, it's really good that we're the librarians because, and you might not see it yet, but you may find salvation in the conservation of information. Oh man, that totally rhymed. That was good. Because just maybe if we can create some special information, then we can never be destroyed. And that is a fact. And so right now I'm going to tell you the physical location of where your soul is right now in the universe. Or if you want to call it a consciousness, or a mind, or a vibe, or an energy, it doesn't really matter what you call it. And by the way, your soul is made purely from the music of the universe, and that is a fact. Thanks, Dr. Michio Kaku. Oh, wait a minute, I forgot to prove we are living on a hologram. Okay, there's something that's baffled theoretical physicists for a really long time, and it's called quantum teleportation. And it's the phenomenon that's seen at the quantum level when the itty-bitty particles don't actually seem to move in any direction. They just jump around like fleas, and all you can see is like one little spot on the hologram, and then tick, and then tick, and then tick, and it looks like they're just randomly jumping all around. The reason we know our consciousness is on a 2D hologram on the face of a black hole is because the information of our 3D universe is encoded on it and we're experiencing a 3D universe. But there are some things, like a glitch in the matrix, that you can't experience in a 3D world if you only have a 2D hologram. There are some things that will not translate from the three-dimensional universe to the two-dimensional hologram. And quantum teleportation, which is little particles jumping around like fleas, is exactly the kind of glitch that tells us we're on a 2D hologram experiencing information about a 3D world. So that makes sense, since we can only experience what our consciousness sees on the hologram, which is relayed from the 3D world through quantum entanglement, it shows up on our hologram like a picture on our black hole channel. It's quantum teleportation. So if you open up a notebook, and not a laptop computer, I mean an old school spiral notebook with real paper that we like needed to write on with pencils back in the 70s, imagine that bendy spiral that's in the middle of the spine. You open it up to the middle, and there's a bendy spiral that is punching through the inner edge of the spine, and there are a bunch of holes that the spiral's going through in the paper. And so like all you can see though is the flat paper. You can't see the metal spiral that's kind of in the middle, right? You can't see that metal sort of spring there because it sticks up. It's like in three dimensions coming up. So you can't see that part. All you can see is the flat paper on the hologram. If you could see in three dimensions, if you truly could, then you could see the spiral, but you can't. Now that spiral kind of turns in a corkscrew, right? You can't see it on the hologram, but you know it does. And that's exactly like quantum particles move. If they have a spin, what happens is they kind of follow that corkscrewy path. So take away all the holes in the paper. So what you're really looking at is just that spiral notepad with no spiral in the middle, and it's just flat paper. Okay, now pretend that there's a little BB that starts rolling along that corkscrewy path. When the BB hits your hologram, that's the only time that you can detect it. 
you can't see the particles spiraling through space because your soul is plugged into the hologram and you can only see the little punctures when the BB is following that spin and going through the hologram. Because if it goes above the hologram or below the hologram, you can't see it. So all you get to see are the punches that the little particles make. And since there's a bunch of particles everywhere, it just looks like a flea circus, so to speak. Okay, so look at the cover art on this podcast episode. And if you can't see it, just go to www.sonic-gravity.com and you can see the podcast cover art. Now, I know it's kind of confusing at first, but and there's kind of a couple things going on there. But if you look and see, there's a line straight up and down sort of the middle behind all of the rest of that garbage. And that is the membrane. That is like the thickness of the bubble that we're sitting on. That's the thickness of the hologram. And so what I'm trying to show in that picture is if you look at that sort of golden hoop, right? That is the path that the particles are traveling on. And you can see when it hits that membrane, it turns into the world. That is the visible matter because if it's not on the hologram, you can't see it. If it's not in the thickness of the hologram, you're gonna miss it. And so, or it's gonna miss you, so to speak. Um, But anyway, and so you can see though, when it's up in the air, then it's, see how it's all green and it's kind of dark matter? That's what dark matter is. And so the, the punches that you'll see, like when the, when the, when the particle like hits the hologram is, is as it's moving, what you're going to see is they're just kind of, cause remember it's kind of going forward too at the same time. And so they're just going to like kind of hop all over and there's like particles everywhere. And so that's why it looks like they're teleporting, which means they're just kind of like disappearing and showing up somewhere else, but they're not, they're going in a corkscrewy pattern. But since you, your consciousness exists on a 2D hologram. All you get to see is when that spiraling BB, that particle, hits the hologram. And that is a fact. Okay, so now I'm gonna show you how with a clock, a guitar string, and seventh grade math, I figured out what dark matter was. So I want you to think of like strumming a guitar string, but you don't quite like get it straight up and down the middle, right? You kind of get it off to the side and it goes twang and, but you see it like it spins in a circle. It like, it like oscillates or vibrates, like whatever word you want to call it, but it kind of spins in a circle. And so I want you to think of like, say you paint that guitar string kind of in one spot and then you twang it and it starts to spin in a circle. That's what a particle looks like. And that's what particle spin is it's oscillating around in a circle and when that particle goes through your hologram it's it's spinning and like we said before it wherever it ticks wherever it punches through the hologram is the only place that you're going to be able to interact it or see it or anything and so if you look at the clock right you can see at the 12 o'clock spot Whenever it hits the 12 o'clock spot, you're gonna see it. And whenever it hits the six o'clock spot, you're gonna see it. But if it's at 79, 10 or 11, or one, two, three, four, five, you're not gonna be able to see it. There's still matter there, but you can't see it. And if you think of all your atoms, if like all of the atoms, all the atoms in the universe were put on that kind of golden circle, right? They'd be evenly distributed all over that. And so you'd only see like two out of 12 particles. 
which is exactly why there's 5.25 times more dark matter in the universe than there is visible matter. And the dark matter is still there, it's real matter, but we just can't see it because we're living on a hologram. There's a glitch in the matrix. And as soon as I saw that, then I realized that the God equation, right, which is the equation that finishes Einstein's E equals MC squared, the reason that the math never worked out for Einstein and he couldn't get it right was because he didn't know about dark matter. And if you want the energy of matter, then you have to count all the matter that you can't see. And that is a fact. Okay, so let me break this other thing down too. Okay, so if you look at the podcast art there, on the right side is the black hole, right? And information is coming out of it, hawking radiation. And we're sitting on the face of the hologram and we're remembering and it's encoding in our DNA. And we are actually the ones who are responsible for making sure that the conservation of information is maintained. So time is flowing from right to left. The right is the future, the left is the past. And so you can see that half the time that matter is going in the past and the other half it's going in the future. If it's on the right side, that is the future. If it's on the left, that's the past. Now, matter can go. Now, in this oscillation, matter will travel up to two ticks of time to the left or right. Those are called Planck times. We'll just call them ticks. Because the matter can go one tick to the left or one tick to the right, and it's no big deal. The Higgs field is the quantum field. It's like a little string. And if you go too far out of time, the Higgs field is gonna grab you. And it's the same thing if you look at Critical Thinking Part 7, UFOs, UAPs, and the key to immortality. In that episode, I talk about how moving through space, the faster you move through space is the slower you move through time. And when I say you move slower in time, I don't mean that you go slower. When you hit the gas, you actually age slower. So your time slows down. Doesn't mean your speed slows down, but you your age slows down, your aging slows down. And if you go at the speed of light, you don't age at all. And that's the key to immortality. Spoiler alert. And so when you hit the gas in your vehicle, you move faster through space, but that's gonna drag you slower in time. And so that's gonna pull your clock to the left because as you go faster in space, you go slower through time. And that's why you feel G's. And so the same thing is with this matter. When this matter oscillates, if it oscillates more than one tick to the left or more than one tick to the right, it's gonna get to the second tick, but then the Higgs field is gonna jerk it back to the middle and then it's gonna, the momentum is gonna carry to the other side. And so it's constantly like zipping back and forth, but it's like going around. So it's actually going around. It's not just going side to side, but yeah. So that's what I was trying to show with that diagram. And I tried to put some like guitar strings like on the side. There's actually like really only one guitar string, but just was trying to make it move and be fancy. So there you go. But when I realized this whole dark energy thing, and it's weird because like as soon as I started figuring the stuff out and like it was God's hand on me, but when I started putting all these things together, then it was just like dominoes. Everything started going boom, 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 boom. In three hours, I had like solved every problem in theoretical physics. I mean, like at least 10 different things. I mean, physics problems that have confounded our greatest minds of the human race for like 150 years. Thanks God. Because right now you're seeing that 
inertial gravity is quantum gravity. And so what we're gonna see is, is that like none of this stuff, it's because the glitch in the matrix that, you know, quantum teleportation looked random and all this other kind of stuff. And they're thinking, oh, look, these particles zip around everywhere. They don't, they don't. Everything is classical physics, but you just need to have essentially the Rosetta Stone. And the Rosetta Stone was the code that cracked Egyptian hieroglyphics because it was a completely dead language. They had no idea, but in 196 BC, a bunch of Egyptian clergy were trying to politic with Ptolemy V, who's the king of Egypt at the time. You know, trying to tell him how great he was and all that kind of stuff. And so they made a tablet, and when they were like tooting his horn about it, they wrote it in three different languages. Hieroglyphics, ancient Egyptian, and ancient Greek. And so all they had to do was find somebody who could speak Greek to translate. And that's how they cracked the code on hieroglyphics. So you gotta give credit to Dr. Jacob Beckenstein. He did this like really complicated black hole problem and he like couldn't figure it out. And then he transformed it into a 2D surface area. And then like all the math worked out. And I was just thinking, and so when I started this, I was like, well, if it's good enough for Dr. Beckenstein, it's good enough for me. And I just started looking at everything like I was pretending that I was on the face of a black hole hologram. And everything just completely fell into place. No, I'm not even kidding. It really did. Anyway, so that's when I realized what dark matter was. And see, our particles, our mass, roll around like BBs on that spring. And if you do the math over the whole circle that spiral goes, it's four times pi, which is 3.141516, right? And so it kind of goes on for a while, but that's about 12 and a half. That's about 12 and a half ticks. And the hologram is only one tick thick. That's a black hole. So it's 2D, but it's been to a circle and it's not totally straight shot through the bubble. And that's what I was trying to show on the podcast art. So. We can only see it when it punches through the bubble we live on. And when it spins once, it spins two ticks on the hologram, plus a little change from the anomalous magnetic dipole moment. And thanks Dr. Matt O'Dowd for all those space-time lectures from PBS on your Patreon. Really appreciate it. So when you do the math on that, you find out that dark matter is five and a quarter times more than the observable matter in the universe. And so that's why I was like, huh, maybe that's what Einstein was missing in his E equals MC squared equation. Maybe he didn't have all the matter that he needed to make the math work out right. So in physics, everybody calls it the God equation, which after you learn what dark matter is and figure out how to calculate it, which is going to freak you out how elegant, natural, and short the equation is, it substitutes straight into Einstein's special theory of relativity. And I won't make you wait for it. The universal mass equation, which I'm naming after my mom, Rondi. She's a retired special education teacher, and she's going to have this because I love you, mom. But the Rondi universal mass equation is this. 4 pi divided by the g factor, including the anomalous magnetic dipole moment, which is actually entanglement arising from the curvature of the surface of the black hole, times the observable mass. When you substitute in the Rondi universal mass equation into Einstein's theory of special relativity, the Einstein-Voorhees universal mass energy equation is E equals 4 pi divided by the g factor, including the anomalous magnetic dipole moment times the observable mass times the speed of light squared. And for the theoretical physicist out there, when a supernova happens and every supernova that leaves a black hole is a big bang, so to speak, it's a big bang because the core of the star punches a hole through space-time. And I think a big contribution from that explosion in the supernova is actually the energy that is released when space-time rips. But that is not the coolest part though. 
Then the core of the star, which is kind of a seed, and it's a lot like a human birth, right? Which probably suggests that universes are actually kind of evolutionary. That seed slips into a dimension outside of time and space, but it still actually has the DNA of the universe that it just left, the space-time inside it, and all the rest of the forces, but it doesn't have the curvature of the black hole anymore, and it doesn't have the bubble yet. So the g-factor drops almost to zero, but there is some entanglement, I think, from the edges of the torn fabric of the space-time, and there's an Einstein-Rosen bridge between the hole in space and the whole universe. And I'm pretty sure that because of the Higgs entanglement, there's some Higgs entanglement from the ripped edges of space to the space-time in the core of the star, and so it's not absolute zero, but it's pretty much near infinite. And since there's actually no curvature from the surface of the black hole in the new empty dimension, the curvature of the core of the star is infinite. And so that means it is a true singularity. And then the weak nuclear force that the core of the star brings with it into that blank universe, the weak nuclear force totally annihilates the matter in that core and sprays the space and pure energy out by inflation as the weak nuclear force sucks everything out of the singularity at the speed of light squared, because there's actually no space that it has to move through. So I'm naming this star that supernova to make our universe, Ashley, who's my bride, she's my love, and I think about the horrible aggravation that would come from living with an autistic bipolar psychopath with ADHD and PTSD. I know life with me is a difficult track and things that you need most are the things that I lack. But the thing that I know what I'll always do is never quit on the promise I made you. You get my best, but you deserve more by far. But today I did good. I found you a star. I love you, honey. And so you see, anyone in the Sonic Tribe who listened to Critical Thinking Part 7, UFOs, UAPs, and the key to immortality knows that the curvature of time causes gravity. So, so thanks again, Dr. Matt O'Dowd. So here's the thing that percolated while I was trying to wrap my brain around the Higgs field temporal gravity and negative energy density and wormholes. And that is that time is relative, but age is absolute. And so the black hole doesn't exist because there's a big mass sitting in its space. It's made of tension in the Higgs string that entangle the outside perimeter of the inflated space-time in the universe below, in the baby universe, so to speak, that was inside the seed, which is the original core of the star. And then those strings are connected to the spread out universe at the edges. So the black hole is due to the curvature of time between the parent universe, which could be billions and billions of years old, but the space time in the baby universe is much, much younger. So that's why time stops when you approach the event horizon of a black hole. It's not just because there's gravity, but it's also because the flow of time from the baby universe makes the boundary of the black hole impassable because the space-time of the baby space-time and the space-time of the parent universe are in different times. So the space isn't actually contiguous, and I think the same reason you can't see dark matter is the same reason that you can't see into a black hole, which is also because it's dark, probably. 
Okay, now the black hole doesn't exist because it's a big mass sitting in space. It's made up of tension in the Higgs strings that entangle the outside perimeter of the inflated space-time in the universe below, so to speak. And that was inside the seed and are now connected to the spread out of the universe at the edge of the edges. And so the black hole is due to the curvature of time between the parent universe and the time of the baby universe. But it's not like a big dirty mass. It's And remember, in the parent universe, the gravity is so intense and time stops at the event horizon. So do you see how Hawking radiation and what dark energy is that's sort of pushing our universe apart? Well, Hawking radiation is essentially time information as the time inside the new universe ticks on and it's catching up with the time in the parent universe because at the edge of the event horizon, the parent universe's time has stopped, but the baby universe continues to age. The time dilation, the curvature of time begins to relax and the tension in the Higgs strings relaxes, I mean over billions of years, right? But Hawking radiation is the time that flows from inside of the Rosenbridge in from the baby universe through the black hole. And eventually, since the age of space-time at the event horizon is frozen, as the universe at the bottom of the Einstein-Rosen bridge ages when it catches up with the parent universe, the space-time is healed because the space is all the same age again. But now the space of the old universe meshes up with the parent universe and it would be like all crumpled and jammed up, right? So it kind of uncoils or unrolls and shoves all the space-time of the parent universe out. And that's why the universe is spreading out between lots and lots of stars. That's why the observable universe is kind of jammed up like plate tectonic boundaries. It's because a black hole is evaporating and the space-time of the other dimension, of the baby dimension, is kind of coming out and elbowing for room. And just for the record, I think the gravity waves we detect might be kind of dark energy wrinkles from evaporated black holes that are sort of coughing up all the empty space in their universes, like spreading out, you know, like really far and rudely, like someone who cuts, who cuts in line at like the Home Depot and the Karen cuts in line at the Home Depot and says, I'd like to return this. And then she like, like throws 82,423,975,762 quadrillion square miles of used carpet on the counter. Carpet that 78 trillion cats and dogs have pooped and peed on every day for like 20 billion years and says, here, I need to return this and doesn't have the receipt. And then she wants to talk to the assistant night manager about the space-time continuum return policy. And that's how I think of dark energy sometimes. So I'm not saying that a black hole can't be a big mass that's like a huge black hole of mass, but I think for the most part, it's a blowhole of time. And I think the time that's blowing out of it is Hawking radiation. But I don't think that Hawking radiation is what's making the black hole evaporate. When the space-time of the universe that's been created on the other side of that Rosenbridge, the baby universe, as that universe ages and it begins to match up with the age of the parent universe, I think that's when you start to see the evaporation. I'm not, it might be a function of Hawking radiation. If Hawking radiation is time, I mean, I, that makes perfect sense because it's time. But I think it's, I think it's definitely a relaxation of the tension on the Higgs string that's what's making that wormhole, that gravity abate. So I think universes are kind of like dangling bubbles that dangle from other bubbles. Bubbles and they're constantly moving up with the flow of time. 
sort of like a current. And it's that flow of the time, which is uh, relative, right? And that's what the Higgs' job is kind of like to monitor sort of like stacks of sheets, right? Like, and when, the, and when one of these stars does a supernova and makes a black hole, some universe just got born on the ground floor and it kind of elevates until it gets older and older and then it gets kind of fatter as it gets older. And if you look at pictures of me when I was young, then you'd be like, yep, he's a universe. And when the baby universe matches its parents' universe age, then the wormhole closes, I think, and the space of the baby dimension sort of unfolds and pushes apart the parents' uh, space-time. Anyway, I got carried away. We were talking about a Big Bang. Not the Big Bang, just a Big Bang. Because it's kind of like no such thing as the Big Bang anymore. And I think the singularity appears, and it's entangled to the edges of the rip in space-time above. And then when a black hole forms, on top of the Einstein-Rosen bridge, then the edges of the black hole, I think, have a curvature, and maybe that causes the quantumly entangled black hole to give the singularity some curvature. But I think it's definitely a singularity. Um, and if you were to give it any kind of curvature, you know, from the Higgs field, you would probably bust the singularity and cause a, a Big Bang. And maybe that's why it rips open. It's actually, maybe it's actually the Higgs field that cracks it open when the entangled black hole membrane hologram kind of forms in that gap like a scab. And then the weak nuclear force in the singularity, because remember that singularity, that um, the core of that star, it, uh, you know, it has the DNA, it carries the DNA of the previous universe. It's got all them forces in it. It's got all kinds of elements in it. And the weak nuclear force in the singularity, think about like the weak nuclear force wants to pull everything apart and kind of smear it all out all over so it's all even and get everything to high entropy, so to speak. And I think when the weak nuclear force in that singularity, that pure energy sort of spreads out, it smashes everything, rips up every single particle that's in there and blasts out pure energy. And it spreads out as far as it can and the energy is uniform and kind of like a soup of heat, right? And I think if we integrate the Einstein-Voorhees universal mass energy equation with respect Back to the speed of light, we get the Einstein-Voorhees universal volumetric energy equation. And so if you know the energy that was released by the singularity based on the mass of the core of the star, the seed of the universe, from the Einstein-Voorhees universal mass energy equation, or UME, then integrate that equation with respect to the speed of light, and then you'll get what I call the Einstein-Voorhees universal volumetric energy equation, or UVE, which is going to be four-thirds pi divided divided by the g-factor, including the anomalous magnetic dipole moment, times the universal mass times the speed of light cubed. And then solve for c by substituting in the UME, calculated for a big bang energy release, and that's equal to the UVE. And then do 3 over 4 pi times the UVE, and then cube root it. And then I think that's the radius of the universe where inflation stops. And I'm not totally sure, because this was kind of a flowers for Algernon situation. And I'm Charlie Gordon, and this kind of whole universal mass energy business, I was like working on that. It's kind of the last part, and I could totally feel myself like getting dumber and dumber as this was kind of going on. So if this is wrong, and hopefully it's enough that somebody else can sort of, who's smarter, can kind of come and figure it out or come up with something better. But I also thought about like, if you take the derivative of the UME, then you get something like eight pi over the G factor times the speed of light and make sure that the G factor includes the anomalous electric dipole moment times the observable mass times C, right? And then that's the energy of a string, of a quantum string, probably, maybe. I'm pretty sure. 
But then it was like, how will the raggedy edge of the hole that we just blew in the floor of the old universe stay quantumly entangled to the space within the seed of that baby universe? When the singularity blows, it kind of, it blows big. But then I looked and I was like, oh yeah, look, the black hole isn't formed yet. So no curvature of the black hole. So the strings are divided by zero and maybe they're divided by zero anyway because the threads are from the parent universe's time. And then I remembered a show called How the Universe Works. And I remember it was like Lawrence Krauss or Hakeem Alusi, they were talking about cosmic strings or something. And then I, I got this thought that like maybe the tie that used to be part of an evaporated black hole somehow broke free or something. And I don't remember everything about them, but think about it, it would probably have enough energy to like pancake you. And I bet that's where they come from, renormalizing space from baby universe anyway. So those are the kinds of things I was thinking about. Pretty really, It's pretty interesting. Now we can kind of do the math and sort out what the energies are um, in these big bangs. Um, and the purpose of space, in my opinion, when you think about space time, I think the purpose of space is to entangle. To entangle, because the emergent property of entanglement, one of those things like imposing the limits of the speed of light. And I think it's the Higgs field because we see that the reason dark matter exists because all the light oscillates in a four plank length I think if it went faster, it might oscillate a little bit more. Like when you stick your hand out the window of a moving car and you kind of go up and down in the air. And I think the Higgs field tries to keep things kind of tight. And at the same time, the Higgs field, quantum gravity or inertial gravity, uh, the Higgs field tries to keep you kind of fixed in your playing time. And so the hologram we're sitting on, the 2D surface of the black hole that the energy of our consciousness or our souls or our vibes or our energy sits on, because it's our job to remember, we are the receptors, our souls, our consciousness or the receptors of information that we and we collect that information in our DNA and in our memories and those are the things that we're protecting from being destroyed like Dr. Hawking and Dr. Tooth talked about and Hawkins radiation is time. Okay now so we both know about the Rondi universal mass equation, the Einstein-Voorhees universal mass energy equation, Einstein-Voorhees universal volumetric energy equation, and the Einstein-Voorhees universal string energy equation, quantum teleportation, the origin and nature of dark matter, the origin and nature of dark energy, the origin of the universe, the expanse of the multiverse, the black hole anatomy, how quantum gravity was actually inertia all along, our role in the universe as librarians of time, the event horizon and the discontinuity of space-time, cosmic strings, the flow of time, and the union of quantum physics and classical physics. We talked about a glitch in the simulation and how we were living on the surface of a hologram on a black hole caused by the curvature of time from a baby universe. And we talked about the star that formed our universe and how her name was Ashley and the law of conservation of information. And we talked about that we're living in a real simulation, so to speak, and that we're experiencing the universe as both a soul within a body, but our soul is definitely transcendent. And we know exactly where that is and our role collecting quantum information. And from my previous podcast about UFOs, you can probably see how the disassociation from the Higgs field is achieved by the Higgs displacement field, which comes from a resonant excitation with left-hand electromagnetic impulses, and it results in the sonic gravity mass effect and enables us to create legit wormholes for time travel, just like the wormholes that baby universes form. Now, my first episodes, Critical Thinking 4, 5, 6, 7, 10, 11, 12, and 13, and Critical Thinking Supremacy, and then take this one and you'll kind of see that I didn't quite have it all at the very beginning. It was kind of a journey. But I want to tell you something that I know for certain. It's we're at a point where we all need to take a deep breath and stop being greedy and start taking care of each other and realize that there are way bigger things that we need to do 
to unify as a human race and save ourselves. And I'm asking you to listen to a different episode called Creationism versus Evolution, which says as we advance in technology, we need to put some time into our faith because too much technology without faith is two nuclear bombs dropped on a civilian population in Japan, and that breaks my heart, but if it serves as a lesson to the rest of the human race, then the world owes Japan a debt of honor and the United States owes a debt of service to the world. And there's honor in that too, but too much faith to the exclusion of those who don't believe like us is holy wars and butchery and I hope that we can open our hearts and our minds to each other and find the good in each other so that we can succeed as a planet. And all you filthy rich people, God bless you. Maybe give a listen to Politics Part 1, Eradicating Poverty in Less Than a Generation Through the Physics of Leadership and see what you can do. But the most important thing that I could ever share is a refocus on the law of conservation of information and that's what I want to talk to you at this last part. So our conscious minds, souls are sitting on a hologram recording history to preserve quantum information because the DNA of the universe demands it. Stephen Hawking and Gerard de Tooft proved it. So as the age of the baby universe approaches the age of a parent universe, and remember, at the edge of the parent space, time stops where the black hole happens. So the baby universe is going to catch up with the parent's age eventually. And so astrophysicists know that inside the event horizon, which is the edge of the black hole, so to speak, on the inside, it's the border between the black hole and the parent universe. Right behind the event horizon, outside the surface of the black hole, there's a huge firewall, which scientists think is all the energy that's trapped inside the event horizon from the formation of the universe. And I think that was true at the beginning of time when the baby universe had a big bang and the energy was shooting out of it like old faithful. And I'm not sure, but I think when we look at the cosmic microwave background, we might be hearing and seeing the energy of the firewall. And that is a fact. Now that fire's there. And when that black hole starts to evaporate, it's gonna be evaporating because the age of the baby universe and the parent universe are getting closer and closer. And when that starts to happen, the flames that are there are gonna wanna go back down the black hole, back down the wormhole, because there's a force that I'll talk about in the next episode or later that's called entropy. And entropy, or the weak nuclear force, wants to see everything equalized. And so when the energy dies out from the baby universe and the lack of energy is going to pull that fire into the black hole and that could take a million years or more and so if anyone's soul spirit or consciousness or vibe whatever you want to call it is still on that black hole membrane believe me when i tell you that your soul will burn and what else could you call it but hell for practically eternity and that is a fact but the law of conservation of information i think can save us and here's how and when you think about it you know that it logically must be true that anything that has an end must have a beginning. There must be a singularity at the dawn of the omniverse that created the first black hole. And the DNA of the creator, just like the DNA of the universe, whenever a big bang happens, comes from the star core seed. And the creator of the first black hole is quantumly entangled, connected to everything because the information is all the same and can't be destroyed in physics. So God knows in physics is quantumly entangled to all of us and we share God's DNA and that is a fact. George Tooth proved that the conservation of information is a fundamental law of the universe and I don't know how he did it I can't do that math but Stephen Hawking tried to prove him wrong and George Tooth took on the hawk and beat him at his own game so tell on that so here's the thing the laws of physics 
say that information cannot be destroyed and think of God on the last black hole which legit if we are in this universe because we are soul spirits energy or vibes on a random black hole if we can get onto God's black hole think how beautiful the world we would experience could be maybe even like this world where we have like a 3d body that's awesome the physics is there that definitely makes that a possibility so here's the thing the laws of physics say that information cannot be destroyed and think of God on the last black hole which legit if we are in this universe because we are soul spirits energy vibes on a random black hole we can get on God's black hole and think how beautiful the world would be maybe even like this world but perfect so I think it's possible that heaven is at the beginning of creation the first black hole and we know that our universe is coming to an end it might be five billion years from now but it's still there that if you create unique information between you and God you have a deep abiding understanding of God and you're in a relationship with Jesus then you will have created a unique new information that cannot be destroyed in the laws of physics and the universe itself would not allow that information to be destroyed. And of course, believing still requires faith, but now nobody can use science to deny it. The geometry of the cosmos supports the idea that there could be a heaven and there could be a hell. And that is a fact. And if you want to start your journey now, all you got to do is pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, stay with me, come into my heart, I make you my savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And that's the prayer in my house, and feel free to take You will know that you have been anointed by the creator of the universe, and if you find a good Bible-based church and find community that feeds your healthy spiritual relationship with Christ, that helps you with your walk of being business. If you put Christ in the middle of all your relationships, and the geometry of your relationships guarantees when you get closer and closer to those healthy relationships, you'll always be getting closer to God. And if you find people of your faith, love them. And when you find people of different faith, love them even more. Keep God in the middle and you'll be all set. God bless.